Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for yet another Boca podcast episode. And uh, I'm actually coming off a vacation myself and jumping right into this conversation with my new friend, Glenn Mitchell. Glenn, thank you so much for hanging out with me today and and actually starting off my return to work, if you will, with a really interesting conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk to you and hopefully give your listeners some tips and tricks on how to manage life a little better. Well, and we're going to actually get into the topic of stress management here in just a bit, which, um, frankly, from myself, um, is is kind of an ongoing challenge, and and <laughs> not just you know, I mean, it really kind of encompasses my life personally and professionally, and at various levels at different times in that timeline, if you will. And um, I, there's been some efforts that I've made to manage that stress more effectively, but I know I can still do better, and I know that many of our listeners. Um, just as photography business owners, stress is a normal thing, but but now we've upped the ante with COVID. And uh, so I think it's an extremely relevant conversation. And we're going to get into the details of that here in just a little bit. But um, it, it, I guess just to introduce you a little bit, will you, will you share with our listeners, um, I guess the photography side as well as the lifestyle coaching side of your business or your entrepreneurial life? Yeah, absolutely. So myself and my better half are wedding photographers, myself and Nicola. We are a wedding photography duo based in the Cotswolds in the UK. And we specialize in weddings, at country houses, mansions and palaces. And generally we service clients from London and the overseas. And my passion has always been into health, wellness and lifestyle design as well. So Off the back of that, a couple of years ago, I actually launched a company called Thrive Through Life, which is a training and coaching company for service-based lifestyle entrepreneurs, such as photographers, health coaches, yoga teachers, florists, cake makers, basically to take them and develop their life and their business so it takes them from where they are to where they actually want to be. I love it. And I love the, the brevity in which you're able to sum that up. And this is something we talk about quite a bit on the podcast, the significance of brand position and ultimately communicating that brand position in a concise yet effective manner in a way that helps that particular business stand out from the so-called competition in whatever the local marketplace is. And so that's really a great segue, actually, to to this first question, what's normally the first question, which has to do with brand position. Can you sum up your, you just did so for your lifestyle brand. Mm. What about the photography side of things? For um, the photography business, it is very much based on, it. 
I like to say we are a destination wedding photographers who just happen to live in the destination where we shoot the weddings. Ah. So we have a lot of photographers that come into the Cotswolds in the United Kingdom, from America, from around the world, and from London. And that is the place and the location they choose to get married. And we predominantly serve those clients um, getting married in country houses, mansions, and the palaces around the area. Man, I love how just kind of nonchalantly you say mansions and palaces. <laughs> like that's just a normal <laughs> thing. <laughs> we have them on the end of every corner, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. And how long have you and Nicola been, been photographing together? We are approaching a decade now. No way. That's awesome. years in business. Wow. That's great. Well, congratulations to you both. And Thank um you. Uh, we'll make sure, of course, to link to your website, glennmitchellphotography.com, uh, as well as the lifestyle brand, thrivethroughlife.com, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. I'll go ahead and throw out the um, Instagram handle as well, Thrive Through Life, and of course, we'll put that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Let me jump to the next question. Your experience as a business owner, a decade or potentially more in, in the making now, what would you say has been one of the most important lessons you've learned about providing a wonderful customer experience? Uh, totally. Um, look, it sounds a little cliche, but I cannot stress enough how important it is to know your customer and to not just know your customer, but to actually care about them. You know, as business owners, when we understand what our clients' concerns are, what their desires are, then we can, we can meet those desires and we can exceed those expectations and during the client journey with them, we can really make sure that there are touch points where we can exceed those expectations and just give them an amazing experience. So there is a framework in place, but it all begins with actually knowing who you're servicing and who your client is and what their concerns are and how you can meet those. This is an interesting point of conversation um, because, well, first of all, I know that I'm guilty of, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who started multiple companies, having an idea in my head and saying, this is what I'm going to do and, and trying to run with it versus at least taking a little bit more balance of approaches. Sure. Having an idea, but making sure that idea actually lines up with a potential need in the marketplace and then digging deeper and, and actually making sure that I'm having conversations on an ongoing basis with those clients or potential clients. So as you pointed out, I actually understand where they're coming from. The service that I'm providing actually meets a, a need or, or resolves a pain point in their life. Yeah, completely. I mean, actually, we probably haven't done this for a couple of years, but for quite a few years, at the end of every wedding season, we would go back to, let's say, of course, we don't have favorite clients, but if we did have a few favorite clients in the year, <laughs> we would go back to those clients and we would just ask them a few key questions. You know, what were the highlights? What could we have improved upon? So, you know, get the feedback from the clients that really fit who you're trying to aim your business at and then adjust your business accordingly. Hmm. Well, it's a good reminder for, for all of us, myself included. Uh, it, it's something that I have to continue to come back to is remember I have those conversations with my client base to make sure I understand where they're coming from so that, as we said, the service that we're providing actually meets those needs. I think it's a really great reminder. Everybody listening in, make sure you pay attention. And in fact, really right now, while maybe things are still a little bit slower, it's a great opportunity to send out some personal emails or make some phone calls, message those clients, have some conversations, make sure that you're really prepping your business for things to ramp back up as we get later in this year and potentially into the next year. 
to provide the best possible service to our clients. I think that's so important. Let me actually jump to another question. And this is, this is an interesting one to me only because Glenn, a little bit that I know about you. I mean, we've had the chance previously to, to chat on zoom, uh, video yeah. call. And, and of course now we're talking here in zoom as well, but, um, I get the sense that you are, I mean, it, I know this is so cliche, but I just, Zen is the word that comes to mind. You seem just so at ease <laughs> and at peace. And, and when I look through your Instagram account, uh, account, Thrive Through Life, um, similar vibe coming across when I go to thrivethroughlife.com, similar vibe. And I'm sure that's intentional, but I also get the sense that that's yeah, probably- Yeah, never trust the Instagram account. Trust- <laughs> <laughs> well, I get the sense this is an actual reflection of who you are. So I, I'm curious about how you manage time and find whatever the better balance is for you between- running a company or multiple companies and also having time for yourself that that space the freedom to clear your head yeah i mean this very much speaks to the business coaching program and i spend a lot of time here with my clients honing in on how to be productive with their time but not just about doing more about doing more effectively Mm. Um, a lot of photographers and i think the majority of service-based lifestyle entrepreneurs, you know, would go into business to create our ideal existence, you know, how we want to live. And we get a year, two years into it, and we realize we're actually being run by our businesses and we're using effort every day instead of an elegant approach to business. Um, and what I mean by that is that we tend to spend hours trying to grind out a result. Uh, Sometimes it's good, yeah, just to take a step back. Yeah. I know, I know myself when I, I'm sat and I'm, I'm guilty of this oh, on a weekly basis, you know, you just, you keep looking at the computer screen and you keep banging keys or trying to solve a problem. And sometimes we often find when we just go for a walk or phone a friend or go for a coffee and you return and you sit down and you look at the screen and it's almost like everything just solves itself. Hmm. And it's an elegant way of being into flow, into a flow state where come back and instead of everything being grind, it's very graceful. It's getting to a state where things happen with ease and not effort. And really that's where I focus on. I try and make my days as easeful as possible whilst maintaining a very high level of productivity. Yeah, this actually reminds me, I, I've been learning how to trade in the market. Uh, day trade in the market. Sure. And one of the things, one of the hard lessons, unfortunately, and, and fortunately, ultimately, that I've learned is that it, if you do allow yourself to get sucked in and ultimately stressed out, but yet still chasing that that thing, um, you can ultimately go down a really deep, dark hole that can be <laughs> a bit tough to climb out of. Um, yeah. it's, it's a really good thing to take a step back um, at times, to take a deep breath, um, literally, figuratively, uh, and then go back to it with a, a little bit different perspective. If nothing else, a fresher perspective. I think that's really important, um, and and I'm glad that you highlight that. I mean, what does that look like for you? What what does it look like to take time away on a daily basis or weekly basis? On a daily basis, and I'll, I'll cover this in a bit more depth later on in our conversation, I think, because it comes into what we'll be talking about in the de-stress protocol, but it's having anchors in the day, mm. just having times in the day where you can check in with yourself, where you can re-regulate, where you can re-regulate the nervous system, drop more into the parasympathetic at points of the day rather than being in a stressed out and in a sympathetic nervous system. 
just having, you know, morning routines, they're very popular and we can talk about those a little bit as well, but having a morning routine that works for you and sets you up for the day. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I, I personally, and it, it's almost cliche or kind of stereotypical at this point, but, yeah. but a morning workout for me does, does kind of give me that sense. It's a bit of grounding, I guess, yeah. for the sake of, or, or as a result of consistency, but there's also a certain exhilaration that I get from, you know, I take this pre-workout in the morning, it gets me all buzzed. I go in do that really hard workout and, and then I start my, my day or that is the beginning of my day, but it's an exciting way to start the day. And I like that kind of starting off with a high almost and knowing that I put effort and energy into something. Uh, it's been really, really wonderful as I've been more and more consistent with it. Oh, that's amazing. And you know what? The really, the really funny thing is I'm the antithesis of that. (laughs) (laughs) I start my day really slow. I start my day with journaling, with meditation, and my workouts usually comes in now. It was even later, but now um, actually it's one of the things that lockdown has tweaked for me. Uh, My workouts are at four o'clock in the afternoon where my energy levels are best for working out, which again, is going to speak to what we're going to talk about, and that's bio-individuality, the fact that we are all different, Yes, which is why when there's blanket diets or just overall blanket statements applied to things, you know, it just doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> you, are you suggesting that we need a bit of nuance in our world? <laughs> <laughs> maybe a tad, maybe a tad. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that about the, the, the difference in the way that each of our bodies function, because I have noticed um, and there is some some science to back this up too, uh, but I've noticed personally that at about two or three o'clock, potentially even four o'clock in the afternoon, around the time that you're mentioning, that my body actually is stronger physically when I'm at the gym. I'm able to actually exert more energy uh, more easily a little bit later in the day. The reason I don't do that, and so I'm aware of it, but then the flip side of that conversation is I'm I also am aware of the fact that if I push the workout later in the day, um, there's a chance that maybe I don't follow through on it. Um, I also like the energy that I feel that I get from starting the workout earlier in the day. And so ultimately I've made that conscious decision, but I also understand that the appeal to starting things off quietly, I've certainly taken um, that approach in the past and it can be really, really lovely as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those interesting things and you know, the more you go into, you can do specific functional medicine lab testing mm. where you measure actual hormonal um, stress hormone levels, so cortisol, for instance, and see where your cortisol levels are through the day. And that will really affect how you're reacting to the day mm. and in terms of energy yeah. and everything else. So that's that's really interesting. And again, everyone is different. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to kind of geek out on that stuff a little bit later. Talk to me a little bit about outsourcing or delegation. Is this something that you've experimented with in your businesses? Have you found any value from it? Yeah. I mean, oh, I must admit, I was loathed to outsource the editing for my photography to start with. And actually, it was Nicola. I think she told me basically after a week of midnight finishes, she just came into the studio and she was like, okay, this isn't sustainable. You're going to do So in my photography business, I would say this has been the biggest and the best outsourcing I've done, not just because it's taken that away from me, but it's freed up so much more time to enable me to develop the other business ideas Mm -hmm. and the photography business, um, as opposed to, and this kind of relates back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, working in your business, not on your business, when you are the person sat for eight hours editing a wedding, 
you're working in your business and your business isn't growing or developing. So, yeah, I outsourced my weddings to Photographer's Edits, I think probably four years ago. And I think one of the things I love working with Photographer's Edit is that, again, it is nuanced. You know, you, Photographer's Edit will tweak things. And I think that's where a lot of photographers end up giving up with outsourcing on their editing. You know, they, I've had this feedback from friends uh, where they're like, oh, I submitted a wedding to an external company and the images came back and they, they weren't how I liked them. I'm like, well, that's one wedding. Right. And I think outsourcing in general, it, this applies across the board to anything. You know, it's like taking on a new partner in a business. Um, that partner needs time to receive feedback and to get up to speed. And you need to invest that time initially to free up so much more time down the road. Yeah, well, there's so many different directions we could go on this. But I, I, even to your point about how a photographer will give up after one wedding, the reality is if, if as they were as we were suggesting earlier, take a step back and, and take a deep breath and then look at that wedding again, the likelihood that um, you know even, let's say, 25% of that wedding is problematic is not very high. They, they are apprehensive to begin with. They're not quite sure how this whole process works, what it looks like. They're not even used to maybe delegating just as, as a general idea. In fact, most individual sole proprietors are not. Um, and, and every single hat. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the thing that I'd like to joke about is, you know, we're used to talking to ourselves and, and we can make at least some sense of that. Now we have to talk to somebody else and ask them or tell them to do something and make sure that they comes across in a way that they're able to understand it and then that that is actually carried out. I mean, it, I, it's a very complicated process or it can be. We've tried to make it as easy as possible if photographers edit, but um, all this to say, I, I would encourage photographers and to, whether it's you're delegating editing or album design or, or administrative duties or, or anything of the sort, be willing to invest time, understand that it's going to take some time and then invest that time to develop a relationship with whoever it is that you're working with uh, because it will pay off in the long run. And as, as Glenn has pointed out, it gives you the ability to take a step back, to look at the big picture, to focus on those things that are going to actually not just grow your own business currently, but potentially even give you opportunities uh, elsewhere if you have the freedom to be able to do so. If, if you're spending eight hours processing or 12 or 16 or 20 hours processing wedding, you can't do that. So I really appreciate the perspective. And, and I have to say this, and I know I do this regularly, but I, that was not a setup, Glenn, for you to, to promo Photographer's Edit, but I really appreciate the, the shout out and also appreciate the opportunity to, to work with you. And I, I appreciate you sharing your perspective on the, on the matter as well. But I want to keep going because I know we've got a loaded topic to get to. Talk to me about uh, an exciting book that has just made a real impact well, your personal life, your business, maybe a combination of both. Oh, oh, okay. Um, so I read a lot of books on business, health, and lifestyle. Um, and I actually, I do something called Thrive Notes, which is a newsletter that goes out weekly. Oh, cool. Which is best. Yeah, it's, it's the best takeaways, tips, and tactics from a book I read on a weekly basis. So it's difficult to pick one book. Um, but if I was going to go for one, I think I would go with something that concentrated on mindset and the practical application of ideas. I reckon I would give that to the Ultimate Jim Rohn Library, which is on Audible. It's 11 plus hours of some of the best ideas from the guy who mentored Tony Robbins. So, you know, it's not a bad place to start. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said Jim Rohn, correct? 
Jim Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to have to find that link to that information in the show notes. But I also want to link to your newsletter. I, I'm on your site. Is is there a link from your site to the newsletter? Uh, there is for one newsletter, but that's actually something that's that's through off the Instagram profile that links, and there is a link, but it's not a direct link. So we can we can link that up on the show notes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes because um, I'd be curious what what you're reading and your thoughts on it. I, do you find? Uh, I, I think it's obviously I think it's wonderful to read and to consume information from those who have experience and and can lend advice, but. The flip side of the conversation for me anyway is we take an, an insane amount of information on a daily basis now. Um, yeah. Are you able to, how are you able to balance the consumption of information with the actual application of that information as you're reading a book, at least a book a week? Great question. I'm not sure I do balance it. But <laughs> I think when you are taking in that amount of information, I'm pretty selective about the information that comes into my streams. Uh, for instance, I haven't watched the news in probably three years. Yeah, um, and that's not to say that I'm not aware of world events. I use an RSS feed called Feedly. Yes, that pulls in certain trusted news sources into my RSS feed, and that's what I use basically to keep me abreast. Whereas and it avoids so Facebook, for instance. I very, very rarely spend more than maybe two or three minutes a day on Facebook, if that. Yep. Um, so I, that's that's how I manage it. Is I try and make sure that my inputs are quality inputs. Yes, uh, that's really, really good. And actually, very, very similar to you. I usually, for me, being on Facebook is checking just to see if there are notifications that I need to respond to. Exactly. Um, yeah, totally. And that's kind of the that's kind of the extent of it because it's just exhausting going through it. But the other thing you pointed out was Feedly, and I've been a massive fan of Feedly for years now. It is my yeah, it's 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 the app go to app for for myself as well. In fact, one of the ways that I'll I'll consume news on a daily basis is uh, on the, the mornings that I do a workout at the gym and uh, have a bit of extra time to actually sit in the massage chair afterwards. Um, I'll sit in the massage chair and I'll go through my Feedly account and I have it broken up into various categories and I can make sure that I'm staying up to date on industry news and tech news and, and so forth. I have a few different categories, but it's yeah. a really great tool, I think, for multiple reasons. One, you have access to a lot of information and you can be very, very specific. You can you can pull, as you pointed out, those RSS feeds from just a massive amount of potential resources. But for me, I love the fact that I can scroll through the headlines and then just click on the relevant articles. Uh, and that way, I'm not just, you know, a lot of these, for example, if you go to, uh, let's just say CNN.com, for example, go to CNN.com, and it's just this massive amount of text thrown at you, and you don't even know how to sort through it. I, in fact, I'm kind of blown away about at the poor design of, of that particular site. But <laughs> um, it, it can be overwhelming. We're overwhelmed enough as it is with information. So Feedly enables us to be able to only call in the information that we want, A, and then secondly, to very quickly scroll through that feed and choose the articles that we actually want to dig into a little bit more. I think it's a really nice format. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. We'll actually link to Feedly in the show notes for everybody who's curious too at bocapodcast.com. They have a web-based uh, interface. Um, I also am on an iPhone. They've got an iPhone app. I'm assuming they have one as well on Android. So uh, we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. But let's actually get into the, the conversation at hand today, the main focus, which is how to manage, a stress, manage stress as a photographer, a photography business owner. Um, as we pointed out earlier, Glenn, you're a photographer, but you are also a certified integrative health practitioner, a qualified yoga movement and meditation teacher. 
Uh, this is a pretty wide expanse of skill sets. Why, what got you into these in the first place? Yeah, uh, my overriding passion, I guess, in my life, it's always been a term coined by Tim Ferriss, which is lifestyle design. Mm. And that's the idea that you are in control of how your life turns out. And as small business owners, you know, you are very responsible for the outcomes of your life. And that means your whole life, not just the success of your business, but it's your health, your vitality, your relationships, and the, just the joy of your existence day in, day out. And that's why I launched Thrive Through Life really a couple of years ago now, was to help other service-based lifestyle entrepreneurs create the business and the lifestyles they crave uh, as we were talking about earlier, you know, through elegance and not effort, that life doesn't have to be effort. It doesn't have to be grind. It can be efficient and it can be elegant. Um, and one of the things that helps me achieve this, which we're going to be talking about today, is optimizing people's well-being through a process called the de-stress protocol. What I've kind of found is that dealing with clients as well, if clients are not in a peak state of health, it's very difficult for them to action everything else in their life hmm. because they're always wading through mud. Yeah. You know, nothing is quite as clear and as vital and as energy filled as it could be. That's a really great point. Um, and you see, and yet you see, I mean, if, if you ever are on Facebook and you're scrolling through and you talk about, or you, you're reading through the, I guess the commentary from the various followers, connections, friends, etc. Uh, a lot of people talk about stress or how they're having a difficult time in life. And, and you've got to at least wonder the association between that and the way that they're also managing their health. Are they getting good enough sleep? Are they exercising regularly? Are they doing things to that enable them to be more mindful on a daily basis? And of course, the list goes on and we're going to get into some of this stuff. But um, it is it is such a strong association. There's such a strong association between our, our physical and mental health. Um, and ultimately our emotional well-being on a daily basis and, and stress management, uh, or on the flip side of that anxiety is, yeah. is a very common conversation now in, in our day-to-day -day lives. And, and yet I think sadly, uh, a lot of it could be avoided. And so we're going to talk about this, the stress protocol here in just a second. Before I go there though, I'm, I'm curious about something. You talk about the significance of responsibility, that we actually have the ability to create the lives that we want. Why is there, and maybe, maybe this is almost rhetorical in nature, but why is there a tendency of a lot of people, I know I see it in American culture, maybe you see it there in the UK as well, to kind of just say, this is, quote, who I am, and then just let it go. They, they, don't, they don't actually step beyond this, this little box that they live in. Yeah, I mean, oh, there are so many reasons for this, but we are essentially conditioned from the time we are born to fit into society's expectations of us. Um, and I don't think anyone is doing it maliciously. I don't think anyone is trying to keep us down. It is just the society that has been created. It's the education system that we are put through. It does like to, and humans, we just, we love putting people in boxes. We love categorizing things. And quite often, you know, we find ourselves put into a box and we accept that box. And the older we get, the more this instills what can be referred to as limiting beliefs into us. That it's then really difficult without working with somebody else that can point these out to us and help us work through them, you know, to step into what is the true power that we are, all have, which 
you know, we're all capable of doing amazing things if we just allow ourselves to step into this. Yeah, I think when I when I hear you talk about the idea of society putting us in boxes, though, almost that that even that phrase or that idea in and of itself seems to sum up the way that a lot of people are thinking, though. It's, it's you know, so-and-so did this to me. Government did this to me. My family did this to me. My partner, my ex, or whoever it is, kind of yes. did this to me, put me in this place. And I don't want to minimize the significance of the effect that others have on our lives. But I think, you know, when, when we're talking about creating the lives that we want, we have to, to step beyond that mentality, realize, acknowledge the fact that we have the ability to make change, to step beyond whatever so-called box we have been put in, or maybe put ourselves in, you know, I am such and such personality, or I have this tendency, or I do this thing, that we can actually step beyond that. Um, I think a lot of the problem to begin with is that most people don't necessarily realize, or if they realize they don't fully take the responsibility for the fact that they can create their own life, the life that they want to. And then it starts internally that they can make that change there. And then that will actually ultimately spread outward. Yeah. I mean, completely. And it is, it is something that is talked about a lot now is that we should take full responsibility for our actions. You know, we define our lives and we do, and we do need to take responsibility for that. Um, I think the only thing that I would add to what you've said, which is all excellent and completely correct, is that sometimes it's nice to just show a little bit of care of where people are in order to get them to where they need to be. Mm, I found this with clients. If I'm working with a client and I just go, take responsibility for your life. Okay, this this is it. It's all on you. You take responsibility. You know, this is a huge amount to put onto somebody's shoulders straight away. So I found personally that more of a soft approach and working with them over time. So they, so rather than responsibility is thrown back onto them, they gradually take responsibility and more responsibility and more, and they find themselves. And then over the process, and this isn't a long process, this is a couple of months they found that all of a sudden they have taken responsibility for everything, but in a very empowering way. I, I, I'm kind of smiling. I was probably expi- smiling externally, but certainly internally <laughs> as I'm listening to you, because your empathy, first of all, it, it puts you in a great place to, to run the type of um, coaching service that you do. But uh, I also realize and reminded consistently uh, that I need to be more empathetic. And um, I, I, so the reminder is a great one. But I do wonder, the flip side of that conversation where is the balance? Because, you know, in, in American culture, anyway, there is this tendency, we've kind of, like the pendulum has swung the, the totally opposite direction. And now everything is, quote, okay, and everybody's empathetic, you're okay, and you're all good, and you're yeah. awesome, yeah. and and on and on and on. And that in no way ultimately helps, or necessarily, I should say, helps those people actually move forward. Their insecurities are dealt with for the time being in a Facebook thread, but it's not actually helping them make change. I understand that there's got to be a healthy balance somewhere, but what is what does that balance look like? Do you think at what point do you have to play hardball and say, hey, you know what? You need to own up. You need to actually take responsibility and, and make a move forward versus just kind of always coddling and petting them in the head. Yeah, I mean, I wish there was, again, I wish there was a one-size-fits-all answer. <laughs> nuance, like, nuance. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like the third week, at 12.04, <laughs> some people take to it quicker than others, but you are completely right. Some people are so held back by the limiting beliefs 
that they that they encounter that they need some kind of intervention into that to break the pattern that they're in mm. to really kind of step in and you know this can be quite hard sometimes as a coach to make because sometimes that can come quite forcefully mm. so it's about learning that balance and it's about knowing your client as well i think when you've worked with a client for a little bit of time just like we do it with weddings you know when we walk in no bride is the same every bride is different so and we interact with every bride in a slightly different way because we want to get the most from them and it's the same with coaching clients you know we want to get the most from them so we know sometimes we need to be a little bit stronger sometimes we need to be a little bit softer some clients are real self starters and you know never email you or never send you uh, a voice note wherever it is to check in with you because they're off and running and then others are on the phone all the time <laughs> <laughs> so it's just about setting those boundaries but also knowing the kind of person you're dealing with so knowing when they're working through something and they're going to get there as opposed to they're just hiding out in comfort and that's when they need shaken out yeah well, it, it reminds me, Tony Robbins talks about the significance of pain versus pleasure. And yes. that at, at some point that, that pain has become significant enough to actually enact the change or essentially force the change. And I would certainly wish for any and everyone not to have to experience that. But sadly, at times, that's that's what ends up happening. And I mean, I've certainly experienced that in, in my life as well. Nonetheless, it, you know, the, I want to go back to the significance of empathy because um, the reality is that that in some form or fashion, certainly I know that I could learn to show not only more empathy to, to others, but I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself too. Um, and that probably then translates to the way they interact with with others and maybe kind of playing. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just I really appreciate the reminder, though, Glenn, and, and um, the encouragement for and of empathy. Uh, and and yet the reality is that we, as you pointed out, do have the ability to step beyond, uh, quote unquote, ourselves and create the lives that we want. So let's get to that uh, as yeah. it relates to specifically relates to stress management. This de-stress protocol, is this something that you designed, something that you learned over time? Where, where does it come from? So the de-stress protocol was actually invented by Dr. Stephen Cabral, who's based out of Boston, uh, and he was my health mount mentor, and he was the founder of the Integrated Health Practitioner Institute that I belong to. And he developed it as a way to heal the underlying root causes of people's health imbalances. Hmm. So as HB health coaches, we don't diagnose, treat, or cure any disease but rather we look for the underlying root causes that manifest in imbalances and create well-being issues. And then once we rebalance and optimize the body and mind, then everything in people's lives start to upgrade. Um, and for me, this gives my clients a baseline really from which to create the business and the lifestyle that they're actually looking for. That's really good. Okay. Well, I want to get into details of the distress protocol. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and add the, the uh, typical caveat, which is that we're, this is not meant to be medical advice, but um, I know that there's some pretty important concepts here that we're going to talk about. So w would you mind, Glenn, just breaking down what de-stress actually stands for? Okay. So the de-stress protocol is diet, exercise, stress, toxins, rest, sleep, supplements, and success mindset. Okay, cool. All right, so it looks like we've got we have do we have three S's on the end. I'm, I'm actually on your site right now. De-stress. I, I see one about okay. emotional balance as well. Yes. 
Okay, cool. All right, so I'm just going to read through these one more time. Diet, exercise, stress, toxins, rest, emotional balance, supplements, uh, success mindset, and we'll add sleep in there as well because that's certainly important. Um, Yeah, that will kind of come in under the rest. Perfect. Well, will you just kind of walk us through each of these and and explain how this then relates to managing stress as photography business owners? Certainly. So the first one we'll start with is diets. (laughs) That's always a funny one to start with because – Everyone eats, so everyone automatically thinks they're an expert on food. So the fact is we're all right, and we're all right in what we eat, but we often need guidance to find the right way to eat for us. And we, you know, we've already alluded to this earlier in the, combination, uh, in the conversation, is that bioindividuality really comes to the fore because we all need different things in our diet to really thrive. So, for instance, myself and Nicola, you know, we eat differently Um, it's predominantly the same, but differently in amounts because we need different things. Um, And again, that's why whenever the latest dark rays arrives, I tend to be a little sceptical as one size definitely doesn't fit all. There are some best practices, of course. And Michael Pollan said something that your listeners may know, and he said, eat plants, mostly green, not too much. And that's a pretty good baseline for where to start. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't add in food, but there's a doctor called Dr. Mike Hy- Michael Hyman, and he calls them condiments, which I really love. I really love the term because they're an addition to the meal. They're not the majority of your plate. And and Glenn, just just to jump in here really quickly, you broke up for a second. Did you did you say condiments? Like we're talking about meat, adding just a little bit of meat. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, there's um, Dr. Michael Hyman. He calls them condiments. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So basically, they are an addition to the meal, and they're not the majority of your plate. Yes, I, and I wish I had the stats in front of me, but um, there is a, uh, a nutritionist and an athlete who I've followed for quite some time. His name is Ben Greenfield. Uh, yes, s- talked about the percentage of protein. For the longest time, it was assumed that we needed a lot more protein than we actually do, not just for sustenance, but even for the the ability to build muscle. And it's not actually that high a percentage. I want to say something in the realm of ten percent, if if that. Um, yeah. And and again, I don't. I, I wish I had the exact stat in front of me, but nonetheless, uh, to your point, I think this is very interesting that we don't make that a if if we do eat meat at all, that we're not making that a majority of our diet, that it is a, a condiment of sorts, um, a supplement to what we're eating. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And there, there, you know, there are plant sources of protein as well that can be added in. Sure. I mean, again, this is very dependent, these figures on whether you want to lose weight, gain weight or maintain your weight. But it's things like seven to nine cups of vegetables a day, one to four cups of fruits, one to three t- tablespoons of a healthy fat, say avocado, olives, raw seeds, grass-fed butter, coconut cream. That can really help just keep into those balances to optimize depending on what your goals are. A really quick win for me, and this is something that I've been doing for a couple of years, and I would encourage your listeners to give this a go, and that is to have a smoothie for breakfast. Um, my go-to is a product called Daily Nutritional Support by Equilibrium Nutrition, which is an American product. And yes, I do ship it from America to the UK. And yes, I do have to pay customs on it. <laughs> it's that good, huh? <laughs> it's, it's that good. <laughs> um, so I will put that with some coconut water or coconut milk and some blueberries, which is an amazing antioxidant. And that is basically how I start my day every day. 
Um, I want to highlight uh, the fact too that that what you just described as far as the ingredients of that smoothie doesn't it isn't majority sugar because I think a lot of people um, and you see this on Instagram even you know the the, the morning smoothie and it's like seventy five percent fruit which is just this rush this massive sugar to our system uh, which certainly is not yeah it's it's not doing us um, much good in the in the long run so um, I, I want to I, I just wanted to highlight that Glenn because I think that's really important. Yeah, because I mean, we can we, we can riff on that a little bit because essentially what happens, you know, we'll go in, we'll have a couple of cups of coffee in the morning, and then we think we're being healthy by having a strawberry banana mango smoothie. <laughs> right. <laughs> essentially, our blood sugar spikes. You know, the caffeine is getting us all hyped up, and that's going to give you an amazing burst of a sugar rush, and then you're just going to drop down and you're going to crash and you're going to crash hard where what you're actually looking for and even now the smoothie for instance most people will also chug a smoothie whereas a smoothie really and truly it should be taken over 45 minutes and that just allows for a slow release of energy to just keep you going so you know, you can put it in a smoothie, shake a bottle, take it with you to work, take it in the car and just take it as and when you need it. I will also add in, because um, my body type, I'm in um, Ayurvedic terms and what's called a Vata body type. So I'm quite thin. I struggle to put on large amounts of weight. So for myself, I will quite often add in overnight oats okay. in, in the morning as well. Again, just to give me a more steady energy release for the day. But, you know, if you're looking to lose weight or you, you, you wouldn't add in the overnight oats. Yeah. The other thing I think that we should mention, too, is that most photographers, I understand somebody doing a, you know, putting in a really hard and I mean, actually hard hour workout, having a smoothie afterwards that might have some extra fruit in it. Uh, but your your body's insulin sensitivity is up quite high at that point and can yeah. can actually take that that extra sugar and and dump it into the muscles where it needs to be for the next workout. The majority yeah, of people don't function in such a way that they actually need that sugar for energy. Their body may get used to having that spike and in insulin release, but the reality is that the majority of the time, what we're doing as, especially as photography business owners, sitting in a computer, uh, maybe even taking a walk from you know the here to there, it, we're, our body isn't actually using sugar as a as an energy source. So the fact that we keep dumping that in in various forms, fruits, breads, etc., um, constantly, when our body's not actually using that as an energy energy source, means a higher likelihood that that sugar then gets turned into fat late, later on. So, um, uh, I mean, it's got to go somewhere, and where it goes is it's going to get get stored in the adipose tissue of the cells, yeah. and it's going to make us inflamed. And inflammation really is you know it's responsible for so many imbalances in the body yeah which is a loaded topic in and of itself but it, it is quite true i mean th- what that translates to whether it's you know issues with our, our joints our skin mental health inflammation is such a massive source of those those issues and a a cause of said inflammation is extreme consumption of carbohydrates. So uh, this is a loaded topic and I know we only have so much time, but I, I will kind of leave everybody with that. Um, the only other yeah. thing that I want to throw in here and, and Glenn, feel free to add to this if you'd like, but for those who are not eating meat, just make sure that if you're taking in um, various plant sources, 
uh, a protein that you that you have a complete amino acid profile, one that it's giving you enough of those amino acids so that your body has the ability, um, the building blocks, if you will, to stay healthy. I think that's really important to mention. Totally. I think, I mean, I fully support people that take a vegan lifestyle. Sure. Um, and it is entirely possible to lead a healthy, vital, vibrant lifestyle as a vegan. Yes. But it is very beneficial to know what your numbers are. And you can do that quite simply through some functional medicine lab testing and actually see so you can make sure that your vitamins, your minerals and everything are where they need to be. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're going to touch on this when we get to supplements, but um, I, this is a great time just to mention if, if anybody listening in has never had not just your typical, at least in America anyway, you go get a physical and you get a really simple blood test done and there are a few data points and that's it. Um, I, a couple of times, actually, I've had the opportunity to work with a doctor where I got, uh, I had very, very detailed blood panel done where I'm getting back something like seven or eight pages worth of data. And it, it becomes really fascinating, actually, when instead of just talking about how you feel all the time, actually looking at the data and acting based on that information. For example, I, I found out that I was quite vitamin D deficient and B12 deficient. And so when I go to supplement, we're going to talk about supplements in a second, but when, when I go to supplement, that naturally is going to be something that I supplement with. I could also make, and I was able to actually make other changes in my lifestyle in order to address some of the other issues that I was seeing in that paperwork, but that's actual data. And we're actually making intelligent decisions based on data. And again, not just how we feel or whatever the trend is in the moment. I think it's really important to get that detailed blood work done. It's, it's so true. And that, what I would just add to that is blood work is not always the best way to measure certain vitamins and minerals. There are other lab tests that will actually measure the usable forms. Quite often blood work for certain things, it won't actually give you okay. the usable forms of what's being used. So yeah, functional medicine lab testing as well, it gives you across the board a much deeper understanding. Some of that is blood work, some of that is stool, some of that is hair. Um, there's lots of different ways to be, you know, be testing that. Fascinating. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave that uh, because that that was only the first point. Yeah. Um, That could really end up going into a deep conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Already. Yeah, for sure. Well, keep in mind, everybody listening in, um, Glenn, I I mentioned earlier, has the site thrivefulthelife.com. If you have questions about some of the talking points that that, that we're really just kind of touching on briefly here, don't hesitate to reach out to Glenn because obviously he can take many more steps with you uh, in the direction of addressing your specific needs. And I, I think that's important to note. But let me get to the next one. We started with D for diet, uh, E for exercise. Let's just speak All briefly right. on the significance of exercise. Yeah. So I'm going to run this through a little bit quicker. You know, again, exercise is not a one fits all size program. Uh, CrossFit, for example, may be great for one person and kryptonite for another. Whilst gentle, happy yoga, for instance, might be great for someone's goals and not great for others. So we always have to remember as well that exercise is a stressor on the body itself. And dependent on our body types, we need to adjust this accordingly. In general, if you're in good health, I recommend starting with the walking of eight to 10,000 steps a day, and then try and maintain that to an average over the week of 10,000. Um, combining this again if you're in good health with two to three strength and conditioning workouts and maybe one or two of light cardio and this will keep most people that are in a good state of health in a good state of health Um, 
the obvious obvious caveat is that the more stress the body is under already, the more gentle we need to start, mm. and then we need to work our way up to this. Which is why I think for most people, working with a professional personal trainer is a great idea alongside a health coach to be able to balance those two things and give them what we would call a graduated exercise protocol. So if necessary, that may start off with just walking and then into some little light cardio, then some weights and then potentially intervals and you can grade up from there. But, you know, there there are a lot of people that decide they're going to make a change and they hit the gym and, or they go to a CrossFit box and they're broken for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just not the right way to approach things. There's a great, um, it's a free test. It's called the Holmes Rehi test, which lets you measure or take a questionnaire on your current stress levels and it lets you know where you are. Uh, simple Google search would give you the Holmes Rehi test for that. Okay. And we can put that in the show notes. Also throughout there, um, I personally own an, what's called an Aura Ring, O-U-R-A. Yes. We'll link to that in the show notes as well as the Whoop Strap. I haven't personally used it, but I know it has similar functionality that enables uh, your heart rate variability to be measured. And, and this is tied to the level at which you have recovered or not recovered. Um, yes. It's able to give you that information, again, through data, and, and you can make a decision about how hard to push or not push that day, or that the software will even make a recommendation based on the information it's collecting from that ring or from that strap on your wrist. Um, so I, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. I'm glad I'm, I'm that guy who's like, if I'm going to do it, I go all in, and I probably overdo it. So I have to be careful as well. But you know, to your earlier point about the type of exercise, sustainability is really important. And, and there's a tendency when, when we decide that we're going to do something, we get all excited, we jump in and we go hard and we do it at a level that isn't necessarily sustainable over the long run. So we get burnt out, we get frustrated, maybe we get hurt. Um, taking it easy and gradually building up is really important, as you pointed out. The other thing I would just throw out there is uh, as a almost 41 year old, um, I actually have abs and, and I don't have abs because I spend three hours in the gym a week. Um, it's, it's because I've been able, it's a combination of things, the diet that we've already talked about. Um, but the other thing that I've, that I've realized and learned over time is the significance of the interval training that you briefly alluded to earlier that, and that allows me to get a, a really great workout in, in 20 minutes, uh, yeah. a day. And, and that's, if that's all I have time for, that's all I have to do. Um, yeah. and it's, it's giving me the, the hormonal benefit that comes from interval training. It's of course, wonderful for cardiovascular, uh, development and health ultimately, but all this to say, we don't need to kill ourselves in order to be healthy. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm really glad that you've highlighted that fact through this. Yeah. And that, you know, ultimately what we want to have is vitality you know six packs are great but what we actually want is the ability to be able to enjoy our lives and go for what and just feel energetic through the day you know and that for me that's that's where we want we want to be you know we want to be able to shoot a wedding and the next day not have what is known in the industry as the wedding to get up and go for a walk in the morning and a lovely hike you know, and for me, that that's true health. Yeah, no, that and that's a great point, and I appreciate you kind of balancing my my over enthusiasm um, there too. But let's actually get to the next point, which is stress. And and I mean, lar- this is largely what we're talking about here. But what is the significance of stress in this distress protocol? Yeah, so I know we all know stress is not good. Um, so I want to give a simple explanation, uh, a simple overview, as it's it is can be quite a complex subject. 
but I want to cover what happens when we encounter a perceived stress, because of course, you know, everything is perceived. And that's why some people face things with equanimity and calm, whilst other people capitulate completely. You know, I've got friends, other photographers, food photographers, that just turn around to me and they just say, I don't know how you can shoot weddings. It's way too stressful. Whereas for me, I find a great amount of enjoyment from shooting a wedding and I deal with the stress of a wedding day. You know, there are stressful moments, but actually in some ways I feed off that. Um, so there's something called the HPA access, which is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access. And it basically says that when we encounter a stressor, our nervous system, which is essentially a feedback loop, sends a response from the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland that releases hormones to activate the adrenal gland, which starts to upregulate our stress hormones, with cortisol, epinephrine, neuroepinephrine, and it downregulates our sex and growth hormones like testosterone, estrogen, etc. And essentially, this means that we're moving from an anabolic state to a catabolic state, which mm. is perfectly fine in the short term, as it gives us what we need to deal with threats. Um, sadly, most of us are living in this state over the long term, and this can have a disaster effect on our health and well-being, and also our performance. And I guess, okay, the way that I can talk about this is I know myself as a wedding photographer, I've had moments where the wedding has been very stressful. You know, we all have them. There's a few every season that are just stressful weddings. And personally, you know, I've gone out to do the bride and groom portraits and I am in a state of stress. Hmm. And this is where, you know, if I'm being honest, I fall back to the canned poses, the hug, kiss, look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, hug again. Oh, <laughs> another kiss. Um, you know, and then at other weddings, there's times where I come out and I'm centered and my body and mind is together and I'm coherent. And it's almost like this, this brain heart coherence where everything kind of comes together and I begin to create. And, you know, that's what we all want as creatives, as weddings, is want to be in the state of creation. And you know, it is impossible to be in the state of creation when we're shutting down all the creation hormones and the growth hormones. Yeah. Because we're shuttling everything across to the survival hormones. Hmm. So, I, I mean, very simply, I guess, I think a lot of photographers think about stress as really just a bad feeling that they want to try to avoid uh, in some yeah. form or another. But the reality is it's it's not just a bad feeling. It's something that ultimately inhibits our ability to be creative, as yeah. photography okay. business owners. And, and yeah. this is something that we need to be cognizant of because it, it can actually affect our ability as photography business owners. Yeah. And, you know, you can end up and we've probably all felt it where, you know, you almost freeze, you, you almost lose the ability to action. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, we want to be doing our job and we want to be creating and producing amazing work for our clients. So I think what I want to do is give two things that cost nothing, really, uh, and they really helped me manage stress, and they're breath and meditation, which are linked, but they're very different. Um, and all the research for these two things, they're definitely not wrong. Both of these things, they're proven to take us from the stress state 
in the sympathetic nervous system into a calm state in the parasympathetic ner nervous system. And, okay, I know on a wedding day that it's probably unreasonable to go into a darkened room for an hour. <laughs> <to day. laughs> but you can learn to control your breath. And this is something that I will often do on a wedding. There's always pauses in a wedding. You know, in the ceremony, for instance, I'm usually in one spot for between 20 minutes and an hour whilst the ceremony is taking place. And this is time that I quite often will use just to center myself because I know that I'm going to come out of that church and all hell's going to break loose with a confetti and it's going to be all guns blazing until we the wedding breakfast. Yeah. So this is my time. So whilst the ceremony is going on, obviously I'm shooting, but I'm trying to settle myself into a relaxed breathing rhythm. And the breathing rhythm I personally use is one that's called 507. So that's a count of five on the inhale, a short pause at the top, and a count of seven on the exhale. Now, the count is really up to you. The more you do it, the longer your count will generally get, the more you practice. Okay. But the general rule of thumb is to make the exhale longer than the inhale um, because this induces a relaxed response. Because on the exhale, there's basically the vagus nerve releases a neurotransmitter called ACH, which goes to the heart and that tells it to slow down. Mm. So then having your heart slow down is a very calming thing. And the more you can practice this, you know, you can just feel your whole being start to center. Everything lines up again and you're really ready to go into that second part with creation is the thing you're working from as opposed to just survival, which, you know, I think that's where a lot of photographers at that point in the day when they come out and they're into that rush then after the ceremony, you know, it's literally survival state. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you made that differentiation, creation versus survival, or another way to put it would be kind of a reactive mode versus a proactive mode, where I'm owning this and I'm, I'm going to create versus I'm just trying to, to function, which is how, I mean, not just on wedding days, a lot of photographers kind of function in their business, unfortunately, and that naturally leads to a stressful place. It, it's kind of, there is a cause there, a causal effect, um, but it's the stress also comes from that. And we, we need to take the time to, as, as Glenn is pointing out, take a deep breath, literally and figuratively, um, enabling us to then go and go back into the work that we're doing proactively rather than reactively. I think that's huge. And by the way, I have to say, Glenn, you're talking about lowering heart rate. This is something um, kind of fun that, I, that I've done, I don't know how many times now, but I can literally feel my heart slowing down as I take the time to do that breath work. Um, it, it's kind of mind-boggling, actually, how we have this this uh, capability ultimately to calm our body down almost immediately, uh, and largely through that breath work, intentional breath work. I think it's fascinating. Totally, I mean, there's this whole principle of uh, heart-brain coherence now as well, where we can actually align the frequencies from brain to heart, and there's a feedback loop there as well. That again, that's very much taking us into different frequencies into higher creation frequencies. Yeah. Speaking of frequencies, I will just make the side note before we keep going, because we, we don't have a whole lot more time here, but you, yeah. you, you mentioned binaural beats under the stress management section of the distress protocol on your website. Of course, we'll link to that page in the show notes at bocapodcast.com as well. Um, that's also something that I've experienced or experimented with. It, it's a, again, a loaded topic that we won't get into at the moment, but for those who might be curious, um, you can, you can actually 
check out if you've got an iPhone. I have an app called just very simply Binaural. And uh, it's a beautifully designed app that I, I really love, uh, have used multiple times. And it's quite fascinating, actually, that in using the research suggests that by listening to these various frequencies, you can actually enable your brain to to get into the state associated with that particular frequency. And if that is de-stressing, getting in, into a meditative state, you can potentially do that with something like this app. So we'll link to that in the show notes as well. No, that's cool. I'm going to check that out, too. Very cool. Well, I'm, I'm jumping to the next letter and uh, yes. de-stress uh, toxins. We just briefly touch on the topic. Yeah. So, I mean, toxins are everywhere in modern society. And the good news is our bodies are actually really good at removing them, but we need to give them the support they need. So there are 77,000 man-made toxins around us now, and only roughly 2% have te- been tested for toxicity and potential carcinogenic effects. So pesticides sprayed in our food, there's mercury in the oceans, fluoride in our drinking water, DDT on everything, um, dental amalgams, the cosmetics we use, mold. Now, before we get too much down to a real scare tactics here, I don't think we all need to move to New Zealand and move into a log cabin. I think it's wise and it's possible to eliminate these toxins from our life and just reduce our exposure. So the best way I can do this is to say just some simple detoxification of toxins. Um, Eating organic, first of all, is great for this, not taking pesticides that we don't have to. If you cannot eat organic with everything, there's something, again, which we can link to in the show notes called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 list, which is a great starting point. Uh, Undertaking a quarterly functional medicine detox, which I do as a matter of standard, That's a liver detox. And again, that just helps remove toxins out of the body. Then there's just simple things like dry brushing, which stimulates the lymph system, which helps move toxins out of the body. Saunas, ideally infrared saunas, is fantastic. Getting a massage. Who doesn't love a massage? You know, again, that just moves, helps move toxins through. Epsom bath salts, they're brilliant. They really help. Uh, rebounding is also good you know we're not this is an area where I know we're not going to be able to not be affected by toxins so I don't get too caught up in the oh my god we're surrounded by toxins what are we going to do about it because there isn't a whole lot we can do about it if we're going to lead a normal life right so what we want to do is just make sure we're removing them in the best way possible. Yeah, that's, you know, especially when it comes to the conversation around plastics, for example, that's huge because the hormonal effects um, of the, the chemicals used in various plastics that, that you know, we have around us all the time um, has been quite significant. Uh, but I, I've, I've made, you know, even if it's something as simple as getting rid of all your plastic water bottles and, and using glass water bottles or metal, I have yeah. just these wonderful metal water bottles um, that, I, that I use just as one simple example. These are small things that we can do that, as you pointed out, Glenn, we don't have to stress about. We just make simple changes. I, something else that I did in, in, in my house was uh, to get rid of nonstick pans and go to, I, I have this awesome ceramic pan that I use to cook omelets in and, um, you know, minimizing again, the, the chemical intake from, uh, the, the, the nonstick, the various chemicals that they're using in the nonstick pans. Also something yeah. else to think about. There's a company I think called green pan. It's what yes. I use. And they're, they're, they're so cheap. They're, yeah. they're just they're the same kind of price. I mean, the Crusade are amazing, but they're an investment. 
and one day I will own a surgery cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> I think I use the same brand that you do. It's it, it really is yeah. a great little thing, and I'll put a little bit of coconut oil in there, which further helps minimize the the chance that the omelet sticks to the pan. But it's 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 really great. So small changes like that can be made. You mentioned yeah. the significance of sauna. Sauna has massive amount of benefit actually including you know the encouraging certainly sweat uh the infrared sauna apparently has an even deeper effect it's putting it's putting the uh the infrared is actually from the inside out so it's actually going below the layers of the skin and then it's heating you up from there and then removing the toxins so it's much more effective yeah, I've, I've certainly done an infrared sauna. The one that I go to regularly, um, I don't have easy access to an infrared sauna regularly. So there is one nearby that I go to that sits. I'm not sure many people do right now. <laughs> this is also true. Yeah, thanks to COVID. But um, I, there is there is significant cardiovascular benefit, uh, potentially even mental benefit to, to going into a sauna. And I'll sit in for about 20 minutes. The sauna that I go to, I think, sits around 180 degrees, maybe closer to 200. Um, yeah. But it is it's so invigorating. And, um, and it, again, has quite significant uh, health benefits. And well, actually, I'll pull from one or two articles that we can link to in the show notes for that as well. Let me go ahead and jump to the next one, which is rest. Yes. We also mentioned sleep earlier. Um, just briefly comment on, on this topic, if you will. Yeah, so I think, you know, especially as photographers, sleep is one of those things that we all try and hack. And we don't try and hack it in a good way. Uh, we try and tell ourselves that we can, you know, we can do without especially in wedding season oh we can get by with four or five hours and the reality is most of us need around the eight hour mark between seven and eight and a half and one of the main reasons i think that's great is we need to start resetting our diurnal rhythm you know there's this i hear from a lot of people oh, i'm a night owl and essentially there's no such thing as a night owl there's just people that have got a messed up diurnal rhythm right so going to bed at a set time, ideally before 10 p.m. Um, so we don't get that cortisol spike and that doesn't keep us up. And waking up around sunrise when the cortisol spike does start, which is around 6 a.m., you get this little spike in cortisol, which is a little energy push, and that's when you want to be getting up because you want to be taking advantage of that and starting your day in an energized state. Um and getting into this routine means we can, you know, we can rest and repair, which is essentially what sleep is for. I remember when I was doing my own editing, you know, I would be up at one o'clock in the morning, still at my computer with blue light flooding my retinas because, you know, you can't use any of these cool um, filters for the screen when you're doing color correction. <laughs> uh, True. And, you know, it wasn't good for my overall well-being. So I thought I'd just go through a few tips for good sleep. Um, the first one is stop eating two or three hours before bed. Use, give your body time to digest properly. There's nothing going to be a lot worse than lying in bed with your body still having to work through the digestive process. Make your bedroom as dark as possible. Just again, especially if we live in cities and we have lights everywhere, you know, but you want to tell your body that it's time to start winding down. So, wing shutters uh, into our bedroom. So literally blackout blinds for another great option just so it's as dark as possible. Yeah, I use a wake-up light rather than the phone alarm, which I absolutely love. It's one of my top little hacks. Um, instead of it starting, it starts off about, you can set it, but it's about half an hour before you want to get up. It starts just a light into the room, mimics sunlights and sunrise. And it wakes me up without fail, without, you know, 
I don't think I've ever had a phone alarm that didn't really just get me out of sleep in the most horrible way. Exactly. You know, the wake up late light is just an amazing, amazing little hack that, you know, it doesn't cost much. Hmm. Um, Keep your bedroom cool. You know, there are products, there are cool products. If you're into these kind of things called chili pads, where even the different sides of the bed, you can set to a specific temperature uh, but it just helps having your bedroom slightly cooler than the rest of your house. Also using breathable hypoallergenic bed sheets will help. Uh, listening to soothing music, like you reference binaural beats. They're a great thing to listen to as you're trying to wind down in the evening, even white noise. Uh, another big thing for me is just make the bedroom an electric-free zone. You know, I think a Kindle is allowed in our bedroom. Um, and, you know, past that... Obviously, the wake light is electric, but even that, a lot of people will put them next to their bed, whereas I would recommend putting it further outside, just, you know, on the other side of the room if if you can, just so there's not too many electrical products around you. And dim the lighting and try and use warm lighting as well. You know, photographers will get this, the bright modern white LED that seems to permeate our culture, which... I think any photographer will, will identify it. It's just a horrible light. Um, use warm lighting. It's just, again, it's just telling your body, the redder that light, the more your body's been told, okay, it's time to start calming down. If you nap in the day, which, you know, given the chance, and if I feel I need it, I will do, keep that under 20 minutes so your body doesn't go into a deeper sleep cycle. And then the last one is uh, supplements if required for sleep. Things like valerian root, passion flower, you can go to melatonin, chamomile. That will really help. And the second thing that really helps me is just having anchors in the day. This helps just manage all my stress. Um, these are kind of non-negotiables for me that bring me back to equilibrium at set points in the day. They allow me to reconnect with myself and... They allow me to be on when I want to be on and then to switch off when I want to be. Well, I think the anchor points, I mean, going back to the significance of rest also helps with that, that so-called schedule, right? Our our body gets used to, I do this thing at this time of day and I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I I don't, unfortunately I don't have the science to back it up, but um, I hear people talk about being night owls or I can't, you know, I can't go to sleep early. I can't go to sleep early and I can't get up early and, and I, I can't help but think about the, the habits that they have likely developed over time and how that's led them to the place that they are. And we can, as we've talked about from the very beginning of this conversation, we have the ability to be able to create the life that we want to. And that includes the schedule in which, within which we, we function. We create a little bit of a loose structure um, that can ultimately help us better manage, ultimately better manage our, our ability to get good rest. And I think that's really important yeah. to note. I mean, there's this, uh, there was a guy who's a natural hygienist uh, called Herbert Shelton. He used to take people out into the forest um, before it became, you know, it's coming around again and it's going to become very popular again. But he used to take them back out to the forest for long periods of time. But, you know, I can guarantee you can take a night owl and if you take them to the forest and you just let them go to sleep and live with sunrise and sunset, you know, in three weeks, they're going to have completely reset their diurnal rhythm and they won't be a night owl anymore. Well, and, and that brings me to the, the next point, which is emotional balance, because I think the reality is that part of what is keeping people up late at night are emotional, mental, psychological issues. 
Um, and that is a loaded, super loaded topic that we're not going to get into <laughs> in depth at the moment, but uh, it was at least a good segue to the next point, uh, which is that we do need to be proactive in maintaining an emotional balance. This is uh, the next, yeah. this is the E and the de-stress protocol. What does that mean? How does that look for photographers? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of us may have heard that your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. And then we have the limiting beliefs that are holding us back from becoming the highest versions of ourselves. And the way I think about this is, you know, we have thoughts, the mind, and the mind, this creates emotions. And then the emotions create actions or reactions. And those actions or reactions then reinforce more thoughts along the same lines, and you end up in a feedback loop. Now, this cycle can be positive or it can be negative, and the great news is you get to choose. Uh, and you need to just develop the strength to reinforce the positive over the negative and to rewrite any negative limiting beliefs or negative emotions and then just put positivity into them. Um, we spoke about Tony Robbins actually a couple of times and he says, it's a great little phrase of his that, uh, it is kill the monster when it's small. Hmm. Um, and this is, there's no better place than when you're talking about toxic emotions, you want to kill that monster when it's small. And I thought here, what I would do is just run through, there's basically nine toxic emotions. And if you can catch these really early, then you can kill them and replace them with the positive. So I thought I'd run through these nine toxic emotions. Uh, so maybe, you know, people can start identifying going, ah, oh, hang on a minute. I see you. I see you rising up inside me. You're toxic. Okay. Let's put something over the top of it. Um, so the first one is bitterness and generally bitterness shows you where you need to heal and where you need to forgive. So that forgiveness can be with other people or it can even be with yourself. And then there's resentment. And this shows where you are living in a negative past. Uh, a lot of people look back and they resent things that have happened to them. So here, how could you reframe this as a learning experience? You know, it's made you what you are. Um, yes, it may not have been great at the time, but I bet you're stronger from it. Discomfort. I think we've certainly all felt discomfort over the last few months, um, but it is the opportunity to change. And we often try and avoid this feeling because we like sitting in comfort. But actually, you know, comfort is often where we just hang out and nothing really positive happens. Whereas from discomfort, we can really take it forward. Yeah, I, I have to jump in on this one because yes. this is this is also a theme that I, that I hear in our culture, see in our culture, which is if something's uncomfortable, you avoid it. And yeah. I think the better thing to do, and I've certainly experienced this personally, is if you're uncomfortable, ask why. Understand why you're uncomfortable, and there may be something there that needs actually needs addressing to that that would enable growth, as you're suggesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's an amazing thing. It is an opportunity to change. And, and by the way, I'll add in, it's not just because, quote, that's who you are. Um, and I think that's, that's, it's such a simplistic, you talk about limiting beliefs, that's a, such a simplistic um, thought process that, oh, this is who I am, and so this is why I feel this way. No, this is how you're feeling at the moment. 
Um, this may be a tendency, but that tendency comes from a particular place, which likely is tied to experiences, which has led to a particular psychological development. And if you're willing to take a step back and, and look at the root of those feelings, the experiences that you had, the meaning you associated with those experiences, you have the ability to step beyond them. And, and that's so much more an empowering place to live. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll add on to that. I'm not sure if this is completely correct on the time, but you know, an emotion lasts a maximum of three minutes. Hmm. Past that, it's a choice. Interesting. You're telling yourself, you're feeding back into that emotion and you're just letting it grow. Again, it comes back to that monster. You're just living, you're feeding that monster. It's a choice past that point. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's powerful. We'll leave that at that. Okay. Um, next one was anger, which, show, you know, anger shows you're passionate about something, which is great, but it can act as a poison if you let it consume you. Anger, I think, should be used as a short, temporary event that can be channeled into something positive rather than something, again, that you just let grow and boil. Uh, we've got disappointment. and We've all felt disappointment. And disappointment, again, it shows you care and that you tried. You know, I heard this beautiful story a couple of weeks ago about a father that asked his daughter at the end of every week, what did you fail at this week? This question instilled in her that trying and growing was actually more important than succeeding. Hmm. And if you try at everything, then that's great. Whereas if you're staying in your comfort zone, you're not growing. Then there's guilt, which is the expression of you still living through what you perceive to be others' expectations of you. Um, Once you allow yourself to be you and create from your truth, then guilt will no longer manifest in your life because you're truly just expressing your own way of living. Uh, shame this ties in with guilt but no one can make you feel shame unless you accept their version of what you should be feeling Hmm. and I like replacing this with pride so when you feel pride in your life no one can ever shame you because you can have that internal sense of pride in what is happening Um, angsty again we touched on that I think everyone has felt angsty recently. Um, Essentially, angsty for me is being stuck living in the past or in fear of the future. Yeah. And again, if we can reframe to living in the present moment with gratitude, which I know gratitude is thrown around a lot at the moment, um, but honestly, gratitude is something that if you practice it, and my advice with this is we're told a lot about gratitude lists. Writing a gratitude list will have a minimal result. Feeling gratitude and letting gratitude actually become an emotion just has exponential results, and it can wipe away most negative emotions just in an instant. Hmm. And then the last one is sadness. And in some ways, you know, sadness is just part of the human experience. It's great. It shows that we have compassion for others. However, you know, it's it's our ability to pull ourselves out of this feeling and to show compassion, but not necessarily empathy. So to not tie on to other people's things. We can have compassion to people without being empathetic of their of what they're going through. Wow. You've I, I was just thinking how the amount of information that you've shared with us in the last well, it's been a little over an hour now. Um, has been, first of all, so generous, but there's so much even just in this this right here that's so practical 
that we could take a step back. I mean, as you're saying these words, I'm thinking about how this relates to my life. There's so much here that that we could take and apply, uh, and not necessarily in the, uh, um, I guess, the way that I was thinking earlier, which is, let me go do this really quick right now, but actually taking a step <laughs> back and, and taking a deep breath and thinking about how these feelings relate to our experiences, again, the meanings that we've given to them, and what we can do to change the association or the meanings that we've given these experiences for the sake of stepping away from these negative emotions that are that are at times overwhelming. I mean, just, just that simple idea of anxiety, being stuck in the past or being overly fearful of the future, uh, I know what that feels like, uh, even in, in yeah, recent days. And I know that many people listening in can and um, understanding, you know, having the ability to, to to step beyond that. I mean, sure, certainly application of gratitude can make a difference probably almost immediately. But there are also wonderful individuals like yourself who can help our listeners through some of this. And of course, we're going to make sure to link to all, all your information uh, in the show notes if those listening in want to reach out and get a little bit more coaching through some of these feelings that they're dealing with. But uh, just to finish up here, supplements, um, and then the second S, success mindset. Can we just touch on yes. these briefly here before we go? All righty. So uh, supplements, I guess, supplements get a bad rap with a lot of people. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it's pretty justified. There are a lot of poor ones out there. However, there are some amazing functional medicine brands that really deliver in terms of quality and results. I think supplementation is excellent for a lot of people. Uh, the main reason is so many of us are overweight and underfed. And 33% the statistics now, 33% of all children between 6 and 19 are overweight. However, 90% of those do not meet the basic daily nutritional requirement for vegetables. And 75% don't make it for fruit. And this is from the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention. So the sad reality is also that the soil we grow our food in is nutrient depleted, and research has shown that since 1950, the minerals in our soil have depleted from it's 500 parts per million to under 50 parts per million. So even if we're eating organic food, the actual nutrients they're getting into that food has dropped down so much since the 1950s. So I guess, you know, what can we do about it? And the good, the good news is it's actually not that hard. Uh, it comes back to the diet, you know, make sure you are feeding the body with what it needs. And then... I see supplements as exactly that. And I think that's where some people get a little bit carried away. A supplement is a supplement. It is a supplement to a healthy lifestyle. Right. So I thought here what would be a good idea is just to give, because supplements are also very bio-individual. It depends on what you need. But I thought I'd talk about what I use as a daily support and, you know, that we can go from there and what my go-tos are in a day and then what I keep in the cupboard. So I use a product, I think I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about my morning smoothie called the Daily Nutritional Support. Uh, this is from Equilibrium Nutrition and it has basically all the vitamins, all the minerals, body needs, and it goes into my morning smoothie. Uh, this is a functional medicine brand, so it's third-party tested, which is important. So you know that what's actually in there is actually in there. And it's in there in the most absorbable forms. I take an omega-3 supplement, a vitamin D supplement, and they're kind of, that's my go-to, which is quite a limited now because I've got myself to a healthy position where I don't need to be taking a lot of stuff. I can, I can tear back now. 
I have a second tier, which you mentioned earlier was, I think you said you were vitamin B12 deficient. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so I use B vitamins. I use a, a, it's called an activated B complex. So it's got lots of different forms of B vitamins and that really helps me with energy. So I might take those to a wedding day. Um, on that note, I will actually take a daily nutritional support, a second shake to a wedding day, just to keep my energy levels up. I will always keep magnesium to help buffer stress. Magnesium is a fantastic thing to just help buffer stress. Vitamin C is always in my cupboard, which supports my immune system. Um, I've just actually restocked so that it all sold out. And past this, really, um, there's probiotics that you can take, which are great, but it starts to get really client-specific. And this is why, you know, I'll run functional medicine lab tests because these will tell me exactly it's a snapshot of time and it will tell me exactly where a client is and what they're deficient in and what needs rebalancing. I play about with some fun stuff. I play about some adaptogens, uh, but these are icings on the cake and these are pretty much, they're not required unless you're, you know, you're really into that kind of stuff. Sure. Well, and I think a great place to go back to is what we were talking about earlier, getting some testing done. So at the very least, if somebody's going to supplement, they're not just randomly supplementing with whatever, you know, got the most stars on Amazon or their random friend recommended to them, but they're actually supplementing based on needs. For me, vitamin D and B12, pretty significant needs. Um, And And for most most people, in truth, uh, that comes out in a lot of tests. Yeah, there was an interesting uh, doctor, a lady named Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Uh, her, yes. web, her website is foundmyfitness.com. She was on Joe Rogan's podcast not too long ago and was talking about the just mind-boggling uh, numbers when it comes to deficiency in vitamin D associated with COVID sickness, uh, which is quite fascinating. Yeah, latest studies, yeah. Yeah, nonetheless, um, we, we most of us probably aren't outside enough, which is where we would naturally be getting that, yeah. that D. Yeah. And um, so supplementing with that might not hurt. But again, I would highly recommend getting in touch with your doctor, potentially a, a, a recommended naturopath locally that you can go and get these testings, uh, this testing done so that you actually have data to back up the decisions that you're making for, yeah, for supplementation. Um, I, this has gone longer than, than we normally do. Glenn, I really appreciate you giving us so much of your time, but just in closing success mindset, it's the last S here. Alrighty. Yeah. So this comes at the end of the de-stress protocol, but the truth is like I start and finish with it. Our mindset comes, I think from three processes that I work with. And the first is seeing it, you know, you visualize what is possible and whatever you can conceive, you can achieve. So first, you've got to see it. Then you've got to believe it. And this is where the subconscious program comes in. This is where we overwrite limiting beliefs. We replace them with empowering, uplifting beliefs. And then the third is achieve it. And this is where the rubber beats the road. It's how we implement and how we break things down into actionable goals so we can actually get to where we want to go. Uh, for me, the root of all this is... It's establishing a philosophy of life. I mean, I started reading a lot of philosophy probably, oh, nearly a decade ago. And like many things, you start with modelling others. You know, when I started photography, I modelled other photographers that I admired and I liked their work. Uh, Same with philosophies. So I read a lot of Stoic tests, Buddhist texts, Zen, modern cognitive behavioural therapy teachings, and then some pretty esoteric and out there concepts over time. 
So that's enabled me to construct a personal philosophy that kind of embodies the way that I approach life. Um, but also that should also be said that that is always evolving. So there's just a few things that I thought I'd close closed with. And these are just some of the core principles that I live by and that I also teach. Uh, first one is only concern yourself with the things in your control. Mm. I, I like the serenity prayer for me, this, encapsulates so much more than just um any long text and that's god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference i think that's just sums that whole principle up very very clearly the second thing uh, very relevant to the last few months and that's things are happening for us not to us everything that is happening is an opportunity for us to grow and embrace. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but a lot of these things we cannot control. So we just have to work with what we can. Third is always be a student. Come to things with a beginner's mind. This is addressed a lot in Zen teachings. You know, we can't learn that which we already know, which I think is something, I think it was Epictetus that said that. And so if we come to something with a beginner's mind, you know, we can always take more things in. Be happy with what you have, but open to receiving more. It's kind of a nice one. I think the other thing that I just want to finish with is you need to have a compelling vision for your future. You know, and Zig Ziglar says this, he says, you hit what you aim at. So the one thing that you need to start with is you need to create an ideal existence. It's what I use as one of the first exercises with my clients. And it's just actually that compelling vision for what you want your life to look like and what you need then need to do to get there. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the thought process of set a goal or aim for something, just go for it. You'll make it there. It's, it's thrown around enough that a lot of people consciously or subconsciously tend to write it off. Um, yes. But I, I think being, being intentional about what we're trying to accomplish uh, if nothing else enables us to focus on a day-to-day week-to-week basis on doing the things that will get us there. Uh, yeah. Versus- I think that's a great thing with working with a coach because, you know, we hear this and you maybe hear this on this podcast and you're right. It's the kind of throwaway thing that people go, oh, yeah, I've heard that a million times. But when you work with a coach and the coach actually extracts out of you what it actually is you want to live, then quite often, you know, that's, that can be a very powerful thing for somebody to actually write down or, or vocalize that whole thing and can quite often be quite emotional for people to actually come to themselves and be like, oh, that's actually how I want to live my life and mm. what I want to create. Yeah. Oh, this has been, I mean, this has just been a real treat, honestly, Glenn. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for breaking all this down for us. Um, just really thought-provoking and ultimately practical information. Um, we're going to link to your sites, your website. So let me mention your photography site first, glennmitchellphotography.com, just like it sounds, and then thrivethroughlife.com. Uh, the same thing for uh, Instagram, Thrive Through Life, and then your, your actually your photography Instagram, which I didn't mention earlier, is Weddings by Nicola and Glenn, just like it, it sounds. Is. And we'll put it that is. in the show notes as well. Yeah, multiple, multiple businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got your hands full, but uh, it seems like you got a, a good thing going for you, a nice balance. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective, your wisdom and advice. And uh, thank you, everybody else, for listening in. I, I hope that you're able to take even some of these principles and concepts, apply it to your 
life. Let us yeah. know your experience with them. And for your listeners, if they want to dig a little bit deeper themselves, they can actually get uh, a book. It's called The Rain Barrel Effect. It's by Dr. Stephen Cabral. It's all based on the de-stress protocol. And if they want to dig a little bit deeper and find out more, there's also in the back of that book, there's all the research to the clinical based studies that back up everything that we can, that is in that book. Perfect. So and and name that book one more time. You broke up just a little bit. It's called The Rain Barrel Effect. The Rain Barrel Effect. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll definitely put that. This is going to be a loaded uh, show notes at bocapodcast.com. <laughs> Everybody make sure you go take advantage of all the information that will be posted there. Shout out to Haley, who produces the show, puts that together for us. Uh, thanks once again, Glenn, for hanging out with me today. Pleasure. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.